Welcome to Arbor Bridge Church's weekly podcast with your teacher, Daryl Canty. Arbor Bridge Church exists to bridge the gospel and our community by connecting people to Jesus and each other. Visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com. Um, so certainly, uh, when you were growing up or when you were, your faith was being formed, there were people in your life or a person in your life who you looked to as this, this person embodied what it meant to be religious or to be spiritual. Um, it, it, you know, most of us have someone like that. Uh, you learned what it meant to be religious by watching that person. 2,000 years ago, before Jesus shows up, people learned what it meant to be, what it, what, it was, you know, what it was like to be religious by watching this group of people called the Pharisees. Um, everyone agreed that you know, these guys were the ultimate in following God. Everyone agreed that if you wanted to learn how to be religious, these are the people that you would look to. Um, the Pharisees were the guys. And they loved having fans. They loved having people look to them. They loved having you know, people say, ooh, look how great or how spiritual they are. They loved praying, standing in the synagogue or on the street corners um, to be seen by others. Uh, the people learned, this is what it looks like to be religious. This is what it looks like to pray. Um, they learned how to pray from Pharisees. They said, these guys are religious and these guys are spiritual. And the way that we learn how to pray is to, to do it like these guys. And they, what they did was they, they, did it by, they prayed by showing off and showing out. And then Jesus shows up. And then Jesus shows up. And he's disturbingly different from everything that they had learned about what it meant to be religious and what it meant to pray. Um, Jesus doesn't distance himself from sinners like Pharisees do. In fact, Jesus seeks sinners out. But then, super strange, super strange, everything they had learned about prayer, Jesus flips on its head. Jesus, when Jesus prays, he does it so differently from the Pharisees, uh, they don't know how to process that. Jesus doesn't seek his own glory when he prays. Uh, instead of praying on street corners, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. And when Jesus would talk about prayer, he'd say things like this. He'd say this. He says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who's, who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That is like the exact opposite of what they'd all grown up learning what prayer was supposed to be about. Um, the exact opposite. And, and I don't know if you, if you can put that in context. If you've ever learned something, this is right, this is right, this is right, your whole life, and then somebody shows up and says, that thing you've learned your whole life is wrong. <laughs> That's what was happening to them. That was happening to them. But also, Jesus has power when he prays. This which adds to you know, this whole thing. For example, once when Jesus was praying, um, once when Jesus' disciples were trying to cast out a demon out of a kid, um, they can't do it. They can't do it. And Jesus shows up, and then he does it. And later, when Jesus is alone with his disciples, they ask him, Jesus, why, why couldn't we cast out the demon? He doesn't respond to them by saying, because I'm Jesus. He doesn't just say, well, because I'm better than you, I'm Jesus. He says this, he says this. He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. So it's not long after that that Jesus' disciples say, you know, they make this request, teach us to pray. <laughs> teach us to pray. We've grown up learning that it's this, and you're saying it's that. When you pray, these things happen, and when other people pray, nothing happens. It's not long after that they say, okay, Jesus, you need to teach us to pray. The disciples have been with Jesus, and they have been with Jesus, had seen him pray, 
And they learned that there's a connection between his public life, what he did when he was out in front of everybody, and his private prayer life. And so they said, oh, Jesus, you got to teach us to pray. You got you to teach us, teach us to do it, do it like you do it. And it's, and it's funny because it's a request they never made of the Pharisees. They never asked the Pharisees, hey, Pharisees, would you teach us to pray? Even though they're supposed to be the, the religious teachers. Everything they knew about being religious was getting turned upside down. So for the next several weeks, we're going to be going through a book together called Teach Me to Pray by Andrew Murray. Um, and I'm going to ask you if you'll read a chapter each week during this time frame. So uh, read chapter two for next week. Uh, you know, we'll talk about it the following Sunday. So last week I asked you to read chapter one. Well, you know, I'm going to talk about it a little bit and then um, next week read chapter two. So I'm going to do this for like four weeks and then I'm, we're going to have some time where I switch to another series. But uh, I'll come back to the book later in the year and focus on it. But I'll still, each, each week, I will, I'll want you, I'll be asking you to read a chapter each week. Um, to help us with that, though, we're going to, you know, Rex is, um, one of our elders, Rex, is helping, uh, helping me put together a video, or put out a video each week where um, myself and one of our church, our member of our church family will be talking together about the, 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 the chapter coming up. Um, it'll be a short video where, you know, we'll kind of highlight a thought or two from that specific chapter, and then um, hopefully it'll inspire you to be like, yeah, I'll, I'll check that out. So this week, um, we, put out a, we put out a video where Bree, our Bridge Kids director, um, uh, introduced chapter one to us. And so if you haven't, haven't had a chance to see that, you go to our YouTube channel, you can find it there. Um, I'll try to make sure that, that we, get, we get those on, on uh, Facebook too, but um, it, she, we basically introduced chapter one. Um, we're reading together. She makes a couple points that I thought were excellent that I felt like I wanted to highlight a little bit in, in my message. So Brie brought up that when she started reading the book, she felt like there was something off about it or something that she, you know, that was bothering her about it. Um, so until she realized it was when it was written, um, it's actually originally written in the 1800s. Uh, so Brie wanted to remind us that the thinking about humans and God uh, at that time was drastically different than it was than it is now, which obviously you can imagine that. So at that time, it was pretty common for sermons and books uh, to be all about how terrible humans are um, and how very little focus they have and how everyone's going to burn in hell and all of that kind of vibe. Um, and there was very, very little focus on God's love or God's grace. Um, and if you read, if you, you know, you guys have probably experienced this before. If you read or hear or, you know, listen to any kind of podcast or from long ago, you know, you, you hear lots of that. Um, so uh, in our culture, we're way better at focusing on and remembering God's grace, God's love. And we're not as good as, you know, we're not as good at, at focusing on the truth of God's judgment or the terribleness of our sin or, you know, our, our, our need to learn to pray better. she she just brought up that we should come to this book realizing that's kind of the background or some of the background that, you know, some of that little comes out in the book. So let me confess that as I was reading this book, um, there were things that I felt uncomfortable with or I felt like were hard to understand or I felt were offensive. Um, uh, And so sometimes as a pastor, I've I've shared this with you guys before, sometimes when I'm reading something like that, I'm like, ooh, I better not give that to them or I better not let them have that um, like you are babies or something like that. And you're not babies. You know, clearly we, we should read things that are challenging or hard for us to understand or, you know, maybe we disagree with or whatever. So anyhow, I'm, I, I decided to go forward with it and, and, uh, and share this book with you. 
So all that, all that being said, let me, uh, let me, let me confess, uh, let me confess this. Uh, I find some of the words that Jesus says about prayer very unsettling. Listen to this example. Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, and this is what he says. He says this. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And to that, to, to that, we respond, you got to teach us to pray because this has not been our experience, right? When, you, when I read this, I'm like, oh. And then I want to start to explain or I want to try, oh, what he really means is, oh. When we pray, we don't feel like this is true. Is it true? Do we have access to the power that Jesus seems to promise right here? Ask whatever you wish. Man, that makes me feel uncomfortable. This is where we have to, we have to have, you know, we have trouble in learning to pray. And this is where I have trouble in, in you know, in believing and leaning into Jesus and saying, yeah, I believe what Jesus is saying. Rather than trying to explain it away. When he says something as grand and as strong and as clear as ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We have to deal with that. We have to take it seriously. It's a crazy strong statement and it's hard to believe. And the reason why it's hard to believe is because it has not been our experience. It has not been our experience. If I pray and God doesn't respond the way that I think he should, what does that mean? If I pray and he doesn't do, if I ask whatever I wish and then he does and nothing happens, then what? Then what? If I, resp- if I pray and God doesn't respond the way I think, I think he should, I might interpret that to mean I don't have enough faith. And certainly, on some occasions, maybe I don't. Maybe I don't have enough faith. Once when Jesus was, um, Jesus' disciples couldn't heal a person, they ask him uh, later, they ask him, hey, Jesus, um, why couldn't we heal that guy? And Jesus responds by saying this, because you didn't have enough faith. You didn't have enough faith. And that's offensive, right? That's, I'm like, what? I don't, I don't like that answer. But this is, this is, you know, Jesus, this is Jesus' school of prayer to realize sometimes when we, the reason why when we pray for something, it doesn't go the way we think we should, we don't have enough faith. It's not always the reason, but sometimes it is. To say it's not ever is a reason, just not being honest about what's here. So I, I, I take offense at, you know, I take offense at being told, I'm praying wrong, or I don't have enough faith, or I'm praying with the wrong motives. And so I'm so offended that I, I refuse to go any further in the school of prayer. Because um, it's like, you know, it's like the, my effectiveness in prayer is accusing me of not being a very good Christian or something. 
or, or my prayer seems to tell me you don't love Jesus enough, or, or when I'm in the midst of praying for something that is really important to me, like, like the health of my kids, or you know, making my needs meet, um, or, or, or when something doesn't go my way that I think should, I think should be a no-brainer for God. I'm like, this is, this is a no-brainer, God. You should just do this. And, and it doesn't happen as fast as I want, or doesn't happen at all. I, I get hurt. It's very painful. Um, so the thought of, of someone coming along and saying, you know what, you just need to have more faith there. I'm going to say, shut up. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. It only adds insult to my in- injury. Um, and and it, those things are really, really hard things to work through about prayer. But I want to bring this thought up to you for you to consider what if I could learn to not take personally my perceived failures in prayer? Like, what if when I prayed and it didn't do what, it did, what I wanted didn't happen, what I asked for didn't happen, what if when that happened, I didn't take it personally, I did something else? So sometimes, um, sometimes my wife is trying to teach me something. Um, yeah, all right. She's trying, to, she's trying to teach me something, and I'm offended by the idea of, that I'm not doing something right or I've failed in some area. So when she brings up what I need to learn, it's hard for me, it's hard for me to learn it because I'm so offended by the idea that I'm doing something wrong or that she's saying that I'm doing something wrong. And, and I feel like what she's saying is a reflection on me as a person. I feel like what she's saying is, I'm, you're a bad husband, so I'm going to have to show you what to do. Or you're a bad dad or whatever. And so I'm so focused on that, I can't learn whatever she wants to teach me. What if learning to pray could have nothing to do with how much God loves you or your value as a person? It could just be an opportunity to learn something that could be a great gift to you. If it could be learning how to better meet with God without all the baggage. What if it could be that? So the Apostle Paul is considered by many to be one of the greatest Jesus followers of all time. That's probably a title he would push back on or wouldn't like very much, whether he likes it or not. It's what lot, you know, lots of Christians think. Um, Listen to, listen to the Apostle Paul's lessons in Jesus' school of prayer. Uh, this is one of Paul's prayers. He says this. He, he, he's talking about his prayer. He says, To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing great knowledge of the revelation. So just quick sidebar real quick. God has revealed to him some magnificent things. To follow up, he's saying this. Keep me from being seated because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations that God has given me. Um, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest on me. When Paul's talking about what he's praying for here, he's talking about something specific that he asked for that does 
not happen. So Paul knows, I'm sure he, he may be aware of the verse where Jesus says, listen, if you remain in me and I remain in you, ask whatever you wish and I'm going to do it for you. With that in mind, he says, okay, would you remove this thorn in my flesh from me? And then the answer is no. So should we take that to mean that Paul's not a very good Christian? Should, should, should Paul be offended that what he's praying for turns out to be wrong and needs to be corrected? The word says that Paul pleaded, which implies that this is, this is emotional. It's emotion. It's something that's not just like, oh, could you do this? It's something. I pleaded with God to remove this thing, and he didn't. And in Jesus' school of prayer, we have to learn to not be so offended or hurt that it keeps us from pressing into God or leaning into God as much as we can when he doesn't do what we ask him to do. What does it mean? What does it mean when that happens? Often we can't learn from God because we're so offended or something that he did or wouldn't do or something that he said. And what, what, that, what that means is he's got something better in store. And if you knew exactly what he knew, you would do exactly the same thing that he's doing now if you had all his wisdom and all his knowledge. Can you trust him? Can you trust him? So in the school of prayer, when things don't go your way, go our way, um, it's an opportunity to learn to be not easily offended. Um, and, and our culture is way too easily offended, aren't we? So much that can happen when our, in our, you know, when, when our prayers are covered in humility, when we're willing to pray in all humility, Jesus, teach me to pray. Would you teach me to pray? I don't, I don't even know what I'm doing. I want to share three things we can learn from Paul's time in Jesus' school of prayer. When we pray, we've got to listen for God and learn to adjust our prayers. We got to listen for God and learn to adjust our prayers. So let me let me bring this up to you and just when you pray, is there ever any time for listening? How do you enjoy? You have a relationship with somebody in your life where they never they never let you talk. That's a that's a fun relationship, right? In the prayer that Paul, Paul has, you know, something challenging in his life, he calls a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it is. It could be a temptation or a physical illness or a weakness. Um, it might be even a person. He's like, could you remove that thorn in my flesh and get them out of my life? Um, whatever it is, it doesn't really matter as, as much as what happens next. Paul is praying that the painful thing is removed, and God says no. Sometimes in our lives, when we're asking God to do something that's important to us, he says no, and we dig in, and we get angry. But, but, but let, me, let, me, let, me, let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. When God says no to you, it's a test. Right? I mean, he may be saying no for a specific reason, but it's also a test. It's a test. Is, who's in charge here? 
Who, who, who's, who's the boss here? Can you accept his no? Is God really in charge of your life? Because if he can't tell you no, then the answer to that question is no, right? Like, our, the elders are my boss. And they get to tell me what to do. And on the whole, they never tell me what to do. They never tell me no. And we just, but like, if they need to say no to me, that's the test, right? That's the test of whether or not they really, if I really submit to them or it's just, yeah. Your kids, you have a great relationship with your kids until what? Until you have to tell them no. And once that happens, that's the test. If God says no to you and you flip out wailing, do you know, you know that this is, that's not what, that's the kind of thing that Jesus talks about when he says, why do you call me Lord, but you don't do what I say? When God tells us no, we need to lean in, lean in. And again, that's super hard, right? When someone tells you no, to lean in and then listen. Lean in and listen so we can make adjustments. Because maybe what we're asking for is not in sync with his will or what will be best. Are we willing to accept Are we willing to accept that and make adjustments to our prayers? Here's what Paul learns in the school of prayer. Second thing, Jesus changes our our prayer motives if they need to be changing, if they need to be changed. Um, So initially when Paul prays, um, he seems to be looking for relief, which is, you know, if this something's awful or painful, then we, you know, yeah, let's pray for it. I like that prayer. Awesome. We should all pray it. We, if there's something terrible in your life and you want it gone, you should pray it. Pray it. And then God says no. Um, and, and, and then there's, there's this defining moment. This is finding of you know, just in, his, in his prayer life. Um, will Paul listen and learn? And he does. Then Paul tells, you know, God, God, God tells Paul this. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Um, my power is best shown when you don't think that you can do this life on your own or all your, you, you, all your understanding that you have is smaller than what I'm bringing to the table. Um, you need me every hour. Things are best when you are weak and I am strong. So when we hear God's response to that, you know, Paul, we, God responds this way to Paul's pain. It, it's hard to accept. It's hard to accept. I'm going to let that hard thing stay in your life because it's best for that to happen because my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness. Well, can't your power be made perfect in some other way? Can't you take this thing out of here? But Paul says, Okay. And not only does he say, okay, he says, okay, if my weakness makes you look better, then I'm going to brag about my weakness. I'm going to tell everybody about it. If, if, you're, if my weakness makes you look better, then bring it on. Let's have it. Let's 
have it. And, and here's the thing. Here's the motive. Here's the motive change. His first motive, he comes to the table and he's like, I just want relief from this terrible thing that I'm enduring. And then in prayer, what happens is his motive changes from the desire for relief to the desire for God's glory. If you want me to have the pain so that you can be glorified, bring it. Bring it. My desire is your glory. That's my greatest desire. That's, and again, that's crazy talk. That is crazy talk. My new motive isn't for relief. It's for making you look better. And when we make that our goal, when we make that our goal, all the things we worry about and chase down on this earth will be addressed in one way or another. But our motives change. Our motives change. James tells us, in the book of James, he he talks about one of the reasons that we don't get what we want is we're just seeking our own selfish desires. Number three, here's what Paul, Paul learns in the school of prayer, Jesus' school of prayer. Jesus' school of prayer gives me the opportunity to trust, to trust, to trust. Um, and sometimes deal with our doubts, sometimes to deal with our doubts. So um, in Paul's prayer, he, he starts out by pleading, but the, in the end, he ends with boasting. And again, it's such a, such a great contrast. He starts with pleading and ends with boasting. Um, and, and when it says that he prayed three times, I don't imagine that it means that, um, you know, he played, he was like, in just one sitting, he's like, please God, take it away. Please God, take it away. Please God, take it away. Um, what, what I'm guessing is that it's three different contexts of prayer. It's like when you say, I brought it up to him three different times. What you, what you probably mean is, you know, there's three different contexts where you've brought this up. Um, I think that's what Paul means is that there's different contexts of different seasons of prayer where he's actually brought this up to God and God says no. So when Paul first begins to pray about his thorn in the flesh or his trouble, I don't think he understands why it's there. I don't think he understands why it's in the room with him or why he has to live with it. In the verse, it tells us why, but I don't think, I think when he begins to pray, I don't think he knows why it's happening. He is in the same, you know, position as the rest of us when we begin to pray for something that we don't want or you know, we want God to change. Um, he, he, we don't know. We don't get it. Or we don't understand. We just want it gone or we want God to address it. Paul says, God said to me, my grace is sufficient. This is, you know, this is so you won't be too arrogant in your life. Can you accept the answer like that? My grace is sufficient. This is here so that you won't go off the rails. Can you accept the answer like that? When we do, we are taking a step of trust. Because that, that kind of answer, I'm, I don't know about you, but that answer doesn't really, if, if I'm really dealing with something that's very painful in my life, that answer doesn't make any sense to me. I don't like it. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough. And it's to keep you from going off the rails and doing something stupid. Can you trust the answer like that from God? It doesn't mean you have to like it. It doesn't mean you have to prefer it. We don't always get to know why God's doing something. Why he's told us to do something. But it's a step of trust. It's a step of trust. So sometimes when God doesn't answer our prayers how we want, want him to, it's not a statement about how bad a Christian you are. Um, it's, not, it's, it's, it's not a statement about how much God loves you. It's, it's an opportunity to learn to trust him more. 
God is working to bring about something beautiful in you if you're willing to cooperate with him to see it happen. And maybe, uh, maybe you have less faith than your neighbor or some person you, person you go to church with or whatever. Who cares? Irrelevant. Don't compare yourself to her. Irrelevant. Just stay focused on what God wants you to do. What God wants you to do. So that brings us full circle back to the verse that we started with. Um, John 15, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Jesus died on the cross, so uh, this could be our experience. Is this your experience? In prayer. For me, obviously, for many of us, it's not. So in just a few minutes, we're going to take communion together. And would you meditate on this verse and ask yourself, if, is this your experience? Is this, is this what you've experienced in your life? Um, and if it is, awesome. Love it. Please <laughs> enlighten the rest of us. Uh, I'd, love, we'd love to, I'd love to hear from you. And again, I, don't, I don't think it's impossible that maybe that's your experience. Um, it's great. I want you to meditate on this verse and ask yourself, is this your experience in your relationship with Christ? And if it's not your experience, why isn't it? Because this is what he says. Through Jesus Christ, God's given, given to everyone the right to take hold of him and his strength. Everyone, all of us, not just elders and pastors, all of us have that right. Um, if, that's not happening in my, any, if that's not happening in my life, I want to check on why. Why isn't that happening? When, I, when my body is not doing what it should do, I go to the doctor and I say, why is this not doing what it should do? Jesus says, this is what it should be happening in our church body. And if it's not happening, we should ask why. I want to ask him, and I want to ask him to teach me to pray. Teach me to pray. So this is always my experience. This is always my experience. Only the Spirit of God can enable us to pray as we should. Only the Spirit of God can enable us to pray as we should. Only the Spirit of God can enable us to pray as we should. So if you think you're going you're gonna to go out and muscle your way into being the greatest prayer person of all time and walk out of this building, then you're kidding yourself. Only the Spirit of God can enable us to pray as we should. So as we take communion together, think on this verse. There are other verses around it. So if you want to open up your Bible and look at John 15, there are other things. You know, you can, you can read that also um, if you want context. But um, and maybe for some of you, it's just great just to focus or just meditate on this verse right here. Um, and and after, we, after we end the live stream, I, 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 wanna, I want uh, those of us who are here in person, just talk together for like five minutes about this verse. And then we'll be dismissed. Um, as we prepare to take communion together, I'd like to pray a prayer from the book, Teach Me to Pray. And one of the great things about the book is that every end, at the end of every chapter, it gives you words to pray. Sometimes I don't know what to pray. But he gives you words to pray, and I, I love it. So I'll pray this for us now. <clears throat> Let's pray. Dear Father, we've heard, we have heard the promises given to your apostles about the power of prayer in your name. And we have seen how gloriously they experienced the truth of those promises. 
we also know that the same promises can be true for us. Even today, we consistently hear about what glorious tokens of your power you give to those who trust you completely. We know that all those who pray and receive have the same desires we have. Teach us to pray as they do. Teach us to pray. We know the promises are as much for us as they were for your apostles 2,000 years ago. So teach us to pray so that we may receive answers to our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information on our church, visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com.